Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we discuss two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, <laughs> beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, but other times giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm Joe Hilliard. I'm here joined every week by one of my good friends. Dave Gurney. And we, I was at K-Space, which is a local contemporary art museum this weekend. Right. Looking for Christmas gifts, something offbeat. Yeah. But I, I took it the time to, to look around. And yeah. They always have a rotating bunch of fantastic exhibits. It's one of my favorite art museums. Our, our guest this episode is, has has had work shown in K-Space. David, our guest has work shown right now. Uh, that's what we're talking K-Space. about. I saw Ethan Thompson's fantastic screen printing work with all kinds of film tie-ins. And he's here with us tonight, Ethan Thompson. Thank you so much for that introduction. I wish we had done it a week or two ago. I took it all down Saturday. Oh, did you? Sadly. Oh, you must but have gotten in there that. right before. I yeah, you, you, you got it there right before you, literally before minutes you got... before. Was minutes that for before. sale? Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, it was. Fuck, we fucked I'll up. I'll tell you, I've learned there's a difference between making art and selling art. Yeah. Big difference. Well, uh, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to <laughs> scratch my own back here, but I did buy a little print you did? to give my Thank son, you. the little ones Thank that were you. in that little rack there. Oh, awesome. So, I appreciate that. Ethan, of course, and I were co-hosts of a podcast about movies a million years ago. And we were discussing... About and bro- co-hosts of this podcast yeah. even more recently. Even, yeah. uh, if, if Thousands of years did ago. Did we do Avatar, one of the films we'll mm-hmm. be discussing on that show? I don't know, but we've got a fantastic beer tie-in today. This is Sun Lab. We've done their beers before. They're out of Miami, Florida. And I found this at Total Wine. This is Blue Seas. And I asked Look you. Look at that, Joe. I asked you before we started, do you think this is going to pour blue? Because if this pours blue, oh, the episode. Game over. It's the best episode we've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's American Sour Ale with blueberry, lemon, Madagascar, vanilla beans, and cinnamon. And I can't wait to get it in my glass. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. It's one of those uh, sort of. Uh, Overstuffed sours here. Uh, it's got like a, a pinkish purple. Yeah, it's not blue, but it is good looking. There's some purple. I, I, There's some purple. I, I feel right? like you'd see a Navi sipping on this <laughs> at some point. Right? Or this might be their blood if you if they got shot. Oh, maybe. Do they bleed blue or do they bleed red? Because we know. saw some Navi blood. We do. That why, why can't one, I remember? Yeah. The oh, color I'm thinking of, of the uh, son's chest, and he wasn't Navi, so I don't know. Yeah. So a sour yeah. ale that's uh, spiced up with all kinds of fruits, vanilla beans, and cinnamon. Uh-huh. Give it a little whiff. What do you What do you get there in the nose? Getting some of those fruits. Very fruity. Yeah, definitely getting hints of them. Although it's not walloping me. It doesn't taste. I mean, it doesn't smell jammy to me necessarily. It's more of a light hint of it so so this is a long stuff. this episode's a long time coming when uh you know our previous co-host permanent co-host carlos was with us we always joked around about doing avatar hating james cameron etc so tonight's the night where it all really comes full circle <laughs> yeah it is uh y- you know it's funny joe was doing the you know sort of uh pre-show uh rundown and, and saying that we had actually discussed avatar uh, briefly, I believe. Yeah, back on, in episode 57. Yeah, the episode we had done on Alita Battle Angel, which was a Robert Rodriguez film, but actually out of a project that James Cameron had been working on for years. And I think Rodriguez kind of stepped into it and, and took it on. And anyway, so I, I, I vaguely remember that we folded in some Cameron discussion. That was probably where Carlos first revealed his, his deep dislike maybe bordering on hatred of james cameron yeah um 
But nonetheless, uh, you know, he, he's no longer in the room with us on a regular basis. And so we are free to just, you know, to what, love what, on him. <laughs> Will that happen? We'll, we'll find love out. Love on Carlos or Cameron? <laughs> well, we always, always love, love Carlos. Carlos. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, but we are, you know, the, the, we, we've already basically said it. We're doing Avatar 2, The Way of Water. Um, or is it is it called Avatar 2? It's just Avatar, Avatar. Colon, The Way of Water, yeah. right? I, I think they did away with numbering these sequels, which is okay. I mean, um, but, but what we have is a sequel to the 2009 film Avatar, still the highest grossing film of all time by... At least, uh, you know, not correcting for inflation measures. I don't know what the, where the inflation-adjusted chart lies these days. Right, but, right, right. But but in terms of w what it made at the box office, it's the highest grossing, still outdoing the Avengers film, which I think is kind of nipped at its heels. No, I think in the they second eclipsed spot. it, and then they reopened Avatar. Is in that China what happened? And made it kind of fifty million more broke dollars. back open. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that yeah, there's been a little back and forth, but it is currently still so. 13 years later, coming into theaters with the Christmas season, the holiday movie-going season upon us, we have this sequel that is set in that same world, Pandora, uh, with this planet where there is a uh, species of beings named the Na'vi who uh, live there. They are the indigenous population, the, the, the head at the top of that food chain. There's also these other animals and creatures that they bond with and all that, but, but they're kind of the, the human counterparts, right. the top of that food chain on Pandora, who um, are the there. The mongrels, the savages. <laughs> well, as we view them, right? Because as, as the first film showed us, uh, you know, this is set in the future, what, 21 something or other, 54 or something. Where um, they still call each other cuz. <laughs> Continue. And they reference jujubes. So, yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, there's lots of fun stuff that carries over centuries. I mean, um, so we have, uh, you know, the basic story of the first film being, you know, we as humans coming to that planet to erase, well, I was about to use a bad term, um, to take its resources without uh, any sort of permission or any ask. It's just we're there. We're going to take it. We're going to push you forest people out of this area and we're going to take all this unobtainium we're that we can get our unobtainium. Yep. Um, and part of how they do that is, you know, they do pretend, at least initially, to want to connect with the with the indigenous population by creating this avatar program where you have humans who are able to sort of connect with a sort of laboratory-born version of a Navi person um, and, and essentially control it like it's an avatar right. in, a, in a video game, essentially. But they're living this life. They're, they're very bonded and connected. And the first film does a lot of work showing you that process and what goes on and what that means for them emotionally. We have Sigourney Weaver, who in the first film played the doctor who was the head of the project, blah, blah, blah. Sam Worthington as the uh, Marine who gets sort of drafted in when his brother... And the long convoluted story to say he becomes very... Uh, connected with the Navi, right. wants to help them yeah. against the United States, against the the U.S. forces that are there, and eventually that you know sort of turns into a battle with uh, with with you know. That. I, I watched the original Avatar in preparation. Did, yeah, did any of y'all do that? I, I tried to rewatch this a while while back, and I got bored and I couldn't watch it. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus right now. I watched it maybe two and a half years ago, right before we went to uh, Walt Disney World. I remember visual images from that film, but I 
and I remember that Sam Worthington's character, Jake Sully, was um, uh, like a paraplegic, and, yes. and he was able to uh, li- live a f- enabled life as the Avatar. And I remembered that they had a tail that they could fuse with other beings, and I remember that they had, that they would get a flying dragon to fly with their tails connected. And I remember that... That's what you remembered before watching it. Again. Right. And then... But I didn't remember any of the story. Really? And really at all. Huh. I also had those little components. Yeah. And so re-watching it, I recall that my biggest problem with that film was a lot of the lunky dialogue and, and script. And when I re-watched it just a couple weeks ago... I reinforce that idea. Mm. The idea that the returning character, the head kind of bad guy colonel, Quaritch, welcome to Cam. You're not in Kansas anymore. And all, you know, <laughs> all the, like Lunky kind of Cameron is known for these like dialogue bits in some yeah. of, not all, but some of the films. And I remember that being the case. So going into this though, I, I've been reading a couple of articles and 13 years in the making and it's all been about technological progress and him trying to to, to recreate submarine cameras so that he could really capture the thing. And, of course, CGI has come a long way since 2009. So I really went in with trying to be, you know, high expe- high expectations of a fun, visual, stunning uh, you know, spectacle here. Yeah. Well, that was my, my memory, too, of Avatar was the first one. that the, You know, I had fun watching this movie. It was, I felt worth 3D, had a good time. Then when I tried to watch it again... Immediately got bored and didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. But this is going to be a new one. And I'm going to get in a good mood to go sit in the theater. I thought it was going to be four hours. It wasn't. It was three three hours, 15 minutes. Right. And I feel exactly like I did after the first one. Which was, um, to be honest with you, there were moments where I was super engaged and really enjoying the action of it and the world that it created. And then sitting here, I just keep thinking of all the things I hated. <laughs> or I thought were bad, and from the one from this just, one from the new from one. the new one yeah. to to let it out of the bag because I can't handle it anymore. Yeah, but well, I'm, no, I'm really curious to hear what you guys thought about it. Yeah, because to me it was just yeah, Avatar two now with Titanic. Yeah, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I mean, what you really. Mean. David, were you intending on synopsizing this new one? I mean, I, I mean, yeah. Briefly, we'll just say that. So, <laughs> so this serious. picks up right uh, many years into the future uh, from the first film, where um, Jake Sully, the the Sam character, Sam Worthington character, he has stayed on Pandora, has a family now. He's the head of that tribe. Uh, right. And it has become like sort of the chosen one in that tribe. Like, yeah, the, the, their chief of a sorts, right. I guess. Um but uh, and and initially, you know, like at the end of Avatar, the first film, you know, the the humans had left, but w- leaving a couple behind. But the the humans at the beginning of this film return. They're no, you 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 might have swatted us away briefly, but we're back full force, and right. we're going to take this stuff. We want the unobtainium. with a new mission. Well, they, they've added on. They're not just taking the resources; they're also trying to get the planet ready for them to habitate. Right, like right. that. Earth has been ruined, and now we need a new home. Right. Um, so, so there's an ongoing battle uh, between the Navi and especially the forest people, who, because the humans have sort of based themselves back where they were. Um, we realize, or Jake realizes fairly quickly, that it's you know him they're targeting, 
And so he decides that the only way to keep his tribe safe is to leave them and essentially go into hiding with another, I don't know what you call it, like another sect of the Navi people. I right. mean, they're, but they are like truly- They've got sli- their own genetic mutations. They do. They have like thicker forearms because mm-hmm. they're water people. They're water they, people. They spend Not a lot of time- people, water people. Right. They spend, they're right on the coast. They spend a lot of time in the water, swimming in the water, connecting with these animals that not only fly through the air, but also can dart down under the water and, right. you know, swim quite extensively. They have a green tint. The, the forest Navi have a blue tint. Right. Which was helpful to keep telling Color them apart. Coding. It was good. Yeah. 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 Um, so, and and in doing that hiding there, of course, they're, they're found again. Um, and in fact, found by a sort of reincarnated version of Korich. Right. Um, whose memories and w- whatever biological data has been stored in a way that allows them to implant it into a new, I guess that's an avatar, right? No, but... but- Oh, okay, so he's on Earth controlling the Avatar? No, 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 because no, he's, he's like, dead. Yeah. I thought but it was a clone. But they've they've lab grown this. It's like they've like what they do with the Avatar program, where they can lab grow a Navi and connect it with a human psyche. This one they've grew in the lab and seem to just be able and to implant, implant it with the yes. psyche, right? And so there's no like separate human controlling it. Yeah, it's just this. It's rep- his memories and consciousness. Yes. Okay. Yes. And he has, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, 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 we're groaning already. And Jake has had. I didn't groan as much when I was like, watching they, the movie. They programmed Jake this has, guy. Jake has Ugh. kids uh, yes. now, uh, and the film actually, Jake and uh, his wife character, the, uh, the Zoe Saldana. Zoe Saldana's character, who are, are not on screen as much as, of course, as being Mitsiri. the central figures of the first film. Now the kids really are kind of the central figures right. as they have to adapt with this new. Uh, Sub race of Navi, and and make sure they don't get into fights and, and, and we also need a whole lot of cliches about families and kids okay. to, to to throw in the mix too. So we got to have them in there. I like this movie more than I thought I would. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I've been grappling with how to talk about this film. Yeah, because there is a very pointy headed film critic kind of dismissal of the first one. So therefore, here we go dismissing this one. And here's here's what I've come up with. There is spectacle and there is story. And the spectacle of this film, I was engaged with a lot, especially the last hour and the big final battle. Yeah. And all of the uh, animals of the Navi water world uh, participating Mm -hmm. in trying to take down the humans and how the... uh, so, so yeah, I, there was a lot of this movie that I really, really liked, and I wasn't quite expecting it. And I went in, I got the 3D, I did my research on 24 versus 48 uh, frames per second, but it turns out that I don't think any 48 frames per second work was done in anywhere in our town in the theaters that we okay. saw it in. We didn't so have the projection. That's not a conversation that we, I don't think, can get into. Right. But I, I enjoyed this film very much. Mm-hmm. However... There's a lot of silly and a lot of flaws, but I didn't know if anybody wanted to talk about the positives before we dive well, straight like, into the negatives. I said, like I like you, I really enjoy, even though it seemed to me very much a Titanic added to Avatar. There's I no mean, doubt it's for sure, right? Yes, I still really enjoyed that. It's almost like James Cameron has created a bag of tricks with his, the past films. 
the the cyborgy looking machines, plenty of those. The underwater uh, danger, plenty of those. A lot of aliens in this movie. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 dock loading um, robot that she controls to finally take the queen down at the yeah. end of Aliens. And like that, yes, those exactly. are in this movie. Um, when Newt gets down a rabbit hole, uh, that happens to one of the kids in this movie. So it's almost like, let me show you some of my greatest hits in this Avatar world. Yeah. And you can, that's a wink at the audience or it's lazy screenwriting. I, I haven't decided yet. Yeah. I, I you know, hear, hearing you guys, it's it's interesting because I think we're, we're all kind of landing in somewhat similar places. You know, it's hard for me to talk about these films in the same way that I talk about a lot of other films, in part because I do think that they have, th- that spectacle is so much the goal. Now I know there's other stuff there. I know that Cameron has this message about mm-hmm. the environment mm-hmm. and uh, you know conservation and sort of uh, you know stewardship of resources, all, all this stuff that he has, which, are things that I generally aligned with. Now, I think one of the big criticisms about the original film was that, okay, but you're doing it in such a ham-fisted way that it doesn't have the same potential to impact because everybody can see that you're just doing a, you know, hip hippie sort of green message in your film and there's no mistaking it, right? It's like the big bad government coming in to take these resources, no respect for the indigenous people, you know, the... Um, which is a story I can get behind. But again, I think in part because the dialogue isn't the best dialogue out there. I don't think I don't think his dialogue is is so bad that it necessarily deserves as much of the ire as it gets as it don't does. Don't you think I mean, though those it's characters not great. are great? This is ham fisted too, right? Like his the bad guys are so cartoon like. In both in both movies now. I mean so the 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 care that goes into the Navi Yeah. And and that side of the argument and what they're like versus the ham-fisted cartoon nature of the military. Yeah, it's just like it's un, it's unmistakable and it's just it doesn't work. Right, and, it, and it's like, and it's perhaps unnecessary. Like, yeah. why why do you need to make something? Well, I think I I think I understand why he thinks he needs to. Okay, help me come up with another film where the primary cast aren't human. Like Saturday morning cartoons gave us a lot of that. The, right. the Smurfs, the Care Bears. Like we're watching a world of another species. Right. But in, in American filmmaking, Live Chewbacca yeah. is yeah, a, yeah. a cool thing on the side, but Han Solo and the humans are really where the story is. Yeah. Um, I could uh, terminate. I mean, all of Cameron's films, Terminator. Yeah. The Terminator's no, cool, but it's humans it's that point. are propelling it's the story. It's a good point you're making. So. In order for us to love this film, we have to completely buy the Navi universe. Yeah. And you have to buy the design, you have to buy the customs. So like there's all kinds of customs that are that are that are shown on screen as being important. Like I see you and and let me uh, doff my my hand to you, oh leader. But it's all made up. It's not real as opposed to say seeing a Native American film that's known for its authenticity and you're seeing how they interact right. with one another in a way that we as modern uh, humans or Americans wouldn't understand it, but we're deferring to the filmmakers have gotten it correct and the universe they're showing us yeah. is a correct real human universe from the past. This is like we're rooting against our own species in this film. Sure. And in order 
to present that, they have to be really fucking assholes and genuine pricks <laughs> and right the worst that. thing in the whole right yeah. world. But that's yeah. like the movie executive who says that, I feel like, right? I don't think we as actual moviegoers need to see the humans be just so two-dimensional. Right. Well, but okay, okay. And I think you're on to something. I, I do think that may be part of what motivates Cameron to feel okay about having the villain take them out with extreme prejudice and we we're just heartless and we just don't give a shit about the world though he does i i do think he's trying to build some sort of uh multi-dimensionality to the korich which whatever this version of korich is that we're seeing yeah um right with the stuff that goes on with his son okay we got to talk about the sun. <laughs> bro i don't know bro i don't know if it's time i don't know if it's time hey what's up monkey bro I don't know, spider. I don't know if it what if it's spider. Ro- there you go. If we're re- like, do we move on to this character because <laughs> there is a character in this film. It is the son of Quaritch. Do you remember that from the first film? Or I, that, no? Where the hell did the, I didn't get that. about him did having he, a son? Yes. Where was that? I don't think that it existed. I, I just saw it a couple weeks ago. Are we supposed to believe it, that he had relations or, with someone? I, I like. How did that? Well, that's what we need to believe. <laughs> I, this mean, human on the, I mean, there. I mean, but this is a guy. Okay, so when the humans, <laughs> as you said, David, is when when the sky people left. And left behind like the 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 good sky people that were into the Navi right, experience, right. which they, was really only a couple people. Right. right. They left behind a young boy who became what? Not feral, but like Navi-like, right? Because he was around them so often. He grew up the which dreadlocks. to us may seem feral because he's you know he's not what he has a loincloth. Yes, uh, he's Tarzan. He dressed yeah, like he's, Tarzan. he's a little mini Tarzan, right? Yeah. And I say mini because it, it, he's probably. Approaching full-grown human size, but next to the Navi, he looks like half pint. Right. So, yeah. I, I never could take this character seriously one time because he also has to wear the mask, the breathing the mask. mask. Yeah. So it's this like indigenous-looking thing with this futuristic mask. It, and he keeps saying "bro." It was so off-putting. Yeah. Him on screen, and I did not understand his character arc because is he going to fall in love with his father? Who's he's it's planting the seed of doubt there, right? I mean that there is this. I mean, it, it, you know, Quaritch. That's what pulls Quaritch back from you know the, which, when we get to that climactic scene, which I do not believe that happened. That, I I agree. I don't feel like they had earned that at the, at that point. Quaritch has a knife. Though there had been that scene, I guess, where they seemed to almost kind of bond. Uh, or but maybe Quaritch couple, was putting yeah. out there the entire time that that was a ruse to just get the kid on his side so we could get the information from right, him. Right, And he, he, it's not presented in a way where we're to believe that Quaritch has any kind of transformation. Right. So he's got a, Quaritch has a knife to one of the daughters. Yeah. Neck. And Zoe Saldana's character says, well, I'm going to kill your son, who we do not believe Quartz cares about. Right. And he says, I don't give a shit. Kill him. I don't care. Yeah. But then when she's like, cuts him, like, I'm really going to do it. That he, was, I really did enjoy that moment, I have to say. When she just, because <laughs> you thought he was going to die? I thought she was just crazy enough where she might, do, like, that probably for me was the best part of the film where I truly thought, <laughs> I can't believe that I am pondering right now that she might actually kill this kid and that would be insane. Yeah. And I did appreciate that. <laughs> There's a lot of danger at the end of the movie and I never believed any of it. Really? I knew that there was going to be some kind of mystical. Uh, problem solving, and that's exactly what happened. I have a question. No one dies. Uh That's not exactly true, but I have a question for you guys. And I, I don't know. Dude gets his arm ripped off. That was cool. Go ahead. That was 
That yeah, that moment was fun. All of that sea, the 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 boats at war, I thought was great. Well, okay, so two things. Sorry. One, I think James Cameron should just make video games. I would love to play this video game and that world that he creates and go explore that world and do so 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 forth. And then when he's like trying to tell a story about family, it's just filled with cliches and I can't stand it. But um, <laughs> but when I think about Terminator Two uh-huh. or Aliens mm-hmm. or the the first Terminator, like. If you guys said let's go watch those mo- those movies right now, I would go watch those movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I think there's just there's an element of fun to those movies that I don't think is just about special effects. I think there's some pleasure in the stories and the characters and the filmmaking. Whereas this film, I like the spectacle, yeah. but it's not fun because it has these layers of lecture and lecture. I guess you know Terminator Two. Okay, there's a apocalypse and stuff like that but i don't know i just careful of the technology i guess this is why i'm asking if i'm just being nostalgic because i i really do think that the terminator movies one and two i have have to say that i guess even though i didn't make the other ones yeah um that they're fun like there's you know arnold schwarzenegger's character and and aliens is just uh, it's just fun it is it's fun it's not just an action movie yeah yeah. Anyway, and I I just find that element missing from these films. Like it's yeah, I appreciate the spectacle, but I'm not having fun. I don't I there are moments where I'm having fun. I think, you know, what Joe was saying earlier and I think you kind of said it when you were when you were talking there. Like there are those action sequences that I totally get into the them learning to do the swimming and diving and stuff where you're getting all that underwater stuff and this like that was really fun stuff to watch. Like I was sitting in the theater yeah. and even thinking you know, like stepping out of it for moments, just being like, wow, this is just really amazing. Like I get why this costs over a billion dollars, the whole, you know, package, right. you know, this right. film, what they're saying is like somewhere between three fifty and 500 million. Jesus. They want to put on the price. It's just price making them all this. at the same time and all the technology. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I think they, to, I think right. they poured close to a billion into making this one and the next ones kind of simultaneously, right. but the way they break it out anyway, the, you know, but part of me understands, and with the first one, which was, I think, even in its time, 300-ish million dollar mm-hmm. budget that it was working with, like, I get it. I get why this is, and what you said, Joe, there about, you know, how many films have these kind of characters that are, you know, human adjacent, but not human, as the lead, you know, characters that are the protagonists of the film, the ones that you're caring about, the ones that, like... We and don't count the Avengers? <laughs> I'm being serious. Like, I do mean, those, those not count? Some of those them. Those are too human like. I think you're. Well, some of them are. Well, Iron Man is a man. Spider Iron Man, Man is a, a man. Guy. Right, you right. Know, uh, uh, Captain America is a man. What about Thor? Thor's a god. Thor's yeah. a god, yeah. yeah. But the, in mutants, there are mutants involved. That, okay. But 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 less CGI in general. I, I wasn't mean, saying that CGI. they don't exist. So, I, was, I couldn't but what think I'm saying, of anything. What I'm saying is, like, I get it. Like, the technology has gotten to the point, and he's worked with it in ways that I think he brings across these creatures, the Na'vi, these beings, as I buy into them. Like, I, I watch it. I'm seeing them move. It looks natural to me. It I don't— <laughs> Did you ever find yourself going— I don't know if I should be able to see their nipples. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, be honest. Nipples? Be honest. Hold on. Did you see nipples? Yes. Uh, on, the, on the female Navi? Yes. Okay, I'm gonna Zoe. Be, I'm going to be very honest with you. And now, they, carefully, they they did protected the daughters, but I never. I don't remember seeing her nipples, but I remember thinking, "Are we going to see nipples?" I remember it bothered me because I kept thinking about it. Because why, why, why does it I'm bother you? Up. We're all adults. 
Well, it just bothered me that I'd have kept thinking about that. Like, like should I, was I like, be seeing that? Uh, this is like, they're not human, but they're human adjacent. So I have to worry about whether I'm going to see nipples. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, listen, if, if you're going to pour that kind of money into it, let me see the nipples. I mean, like, <laughs> come on. If you've put that much money into CGI nipples, let's, let's do it. Let's see it. No, <laughs> but, but uh, you know what I'm saying? And like it, there is, <laughs> there is this visual part to what's going on here. The I, spectacle. I gotta go see this movie again. That, <laughs> I'm just, I missed them. That I think, is truly worth the price of admission. And and like Ethan said at the beginning, you. when I came out of that first Avatar film, I remember feeling, wow. Like that, it was more like going to an amusement park ride. Yeah, it was right. more like doing that than it was seeing a typical film. Now, when I linger on the aspects that were more traditionally film-like, the storytelling that's going on, yeah, that's where I get disappointed. And I start feeling like, well, couldn't that have been done better? Why doesn't he... And so there is that part of me, and I think that is w where a lot of the critical opinion on this franchise tends to go, is that, look, you have somebody, I mean, obviously there are the critics who just totally dismiss it and say this is garbage and this is indicative of, you know, w the state of cinema now. And there's part of me that feels that, right? Like, why are we pouring so much money into... Because it's the number one grossing box like office ever. But again, th right, the justification is... Because well, we're humans and that's what we do at the look, end of the day. Right, you can make huge money and this is a compelling enough visual experience that people are going to want to plunk down that premium 3D cinema money yeah, I did. to go see it. Now, whether they'll do it in enough numbers to really justify these sequels, that's kind of an open that, question right now. To me, and, that's and, a post-COVID conversation, not an Avatar conversation. Well, but I think we should talk about it. Um, but but on the sort of, is this contributing to the furthering of storytelling in some significant way? I think there's a case to be made that, okay, once you open up these kind of possibilities of these new worlds that eventually we might get to a place where we're making some really interesting films with them. But I feel like this is, it's almost like looking at early talkies. You know what I mean? It's almost like, okay, this is like, the gimmick here is that you're hearing the person speak on screen, right? And that there's this synchronous sound and Al Jolson's mouth opens and I'm hearing his voice right now. And we're gonna disregard the fact that the movie is kind of just clunkily put together and has these song sequences just to showcase this sound But it's an evolutionary moment. But it's an evolutionary moment. And it felt that way with the original Avatar. Now, it's hard for me to say 13 years later, why hasn't that happened in a more robust way? And why do we... I mean, there's almost I like... I think it has, and they're called Marvel movies. You're, you're kind of right, but those films, I think, are still based in our human world to some degree, but then again, actually, they're, See, this, they're kind this, of floating no, away. I like no, this, you're right, you're I, right. No, I like right. this conversation very much, but we're, we're treading dangerously into exactly what Scorsese said, which is that these are amusement park rides, not film, not, not cinema. That yeah. magical word yeah. cinema, yeah. that my thing that I like has to be called cinema, right. so I can have value yeah. myself, but... If it is spectacle versus story, and, and and the three of us are critical of the story, and all three of us can say, hey, the spectacle was a little bit fun here and there minimally, then then I think where you were headed was that it's not it's such an odd thing that so much money has been poured into this, which I think will advance filmmaking. I think Jim Cameron, I don't have a list in front of me, but Jim Cameron's inventions and requirements to tell this let me say it a different way. To make this film 
<laughs> will help make other films because yeah. that that technology will become less expensive as time goes by. The problem is, is that he's making a movie, and mm-hmm. the American audience with the first Avatar certainly enjoyed that movie, but he's not making a film. Mm. But he is, but he's not. You know, what I'm yeah. saying that, that there is a lack of cinema here, right? And 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 I'll say it. I agree with Scorsese, it, but it's, I don't think that it's an insult to say that these amusement park ride films are just that. So th- this is what you're saying, I think, is another way of phrasing what my, my comment about the video game thing is, which right. is I don't think that a movie like this is about pushing cinema into the future or films into the future. I think James it's, Cameron thinks it is. Well, it's about media making, making media. And media today is not making films like this are about multi-platform games, yeah, all kinds of tie-ins, larger not, than one income stream. Yeah, and so all I, well, the only thing I'll say on that, beyond that, is that when I say you know I'd like to play the video game, the pleasures that I had with this film and seeing things, I could totally get creating my own narrative playing a video game. I didn't need to experience the story that he told in this. Yeah. I was not, dr- oh, I can't find, wait to find out what's going to happen with crazy military, man. Is he going to win? You know, like, <laughs> I never needed that. I, and, and unlike another film that we'll talk about, you know, I, I didn't care about the story. I love what I saw in the spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that kind of spectacle and that kind of world is great for exploring and playing. And for me, didn't work as a storytelling frame. I, to me, I, there's room for all of it. Like, in other words, go to the Marvel movie, go to Avatar, and have the time of your life. And, and you're probably going to if, if if this is your cup of tea, right? But I want to believe that we can have both. I you know, you know what I mean. And it's, and I'm happy I feel when we do. I feel like I've seen glimmers of it, and, and I and I'm glad that you you know Joe kind of corrected me. I mean, there, there's part of me that really does feel like. Okay, what has happened since Avatar that really has used some of that technology, the technological advancement that Cameron has pushed for in ways that have been maybe more satisfying to me on a narrative level? And, you know, we could point to Marvel trying to do that. And at times, like, I've had some good experiences with the Marvel stuff, right? I mean, I have those films of, of the MCU that I enjoyed, like Thor Ragnarok and, you know, yeah, maybe our a handful sure. of others. Yeah. That, Okay, there was enough there, and I could see how, okay, being able to put me into this, like, fantasy version of outer space and doing this stuff, this is fun, I'm enjoying it, and there's kind of a story to it that I'm interested in. Like, I've seen it almost happen. I've seen it come close to happening. The the trick is, like, how can we get into that really sort of satisfyingly rich storytelling subtlety, nuance, character development, all that stuff that I want there to be in a great film and also be working with the visuals like that. And it seems like the trade-off is if you want it to be successful as a visual spectacle, then you need to make sure it's there for the general audience, right? And that nobody's going to be put off by too complicated a story, whatever, right? I mean, but then on the other hand, if you're going to have the complicated story, you can't afford to do the effects but that you would need for that now yeah. eventually does it come to a point where you know everybody can be working with this and we have uh you know uh kelly reichert or uh, you know like some um, small scale you know indie filmmaker can do something with cgi and motion capture if they wanted to i don't know i don't know how close we are to that sort of 
filmmaking intervention. But this certainly isn't that. Just I mean, to, especially post COVID, like every studio wants to make as much money as possible to recoup all of the losses over the last couple of years. And when you consider the ones that have done that in 2022, Top Gun, yeah, this. Uh, a couple, a couple of Marvel films, but not a interestingly, not a couple of Marvel films. I don't think Black Panther really performed the way that the. You know. It's done well, but it didn't blow up. It it certainly didn't match right. the original. Right. So if you consider those big ones, and I think I'm going to add this to the list because I I can see where we're going here. These four quadrant films, t Top Gun, will be nominated for Best Picture. Then he sang that song with the piano. <laughs> you know, no, it's great. Yeah, I, I, I hear, I hear what you're saying. And it, and Top Gun, interestingly, doing it with all with that anti CGI yeah. piece. You know what I mean? Like that that it is a spectacle film, spectacle film, and it is using technology in the sense that it's using certain cameras that didn't exist years ago. It's it's able to do things mm -hmm. they couldn't do with the original Top Gun. But not in terms of motion capture and CGI. Right. Yeah. Okay. Where are we with this thing? I like Top Gun better. Yeah, I did too. I I I, I enjoyed this, but it it had all of the problems of the first one again. I I honestly I I want to play the video game. Yeah. I'm not kidding, man. I mean, well, I, and I I will say like having watched the first one in two thousand nine. And then not returned to it for many years. Watched it a few years ago, as I mentioned earlier on, when right before we were going to Disney World, mm -hmm. because there is the yeah, Pandora right, right. area, and there's a, a couple rides, yeah. and I went, okay, well, we should. And my girls had never seen it, so like, okay, let's let's watch it together. They weren't all that impressed by it. Like they they kind of got the visual element of it, it's even very on pretty. our TV, but. The, the story didn't really grab them. They yeah. didn't get pulled into it. They enjoyed the rides and the experience of being there at Disney World. But when it came to wanting to see this film, um, w w both of them were lukewarm, didn't really care to want to see it. One of them eventually decided to go because Aaron was going and she wanted to go with her. <laughs> but, but our oldest decided she didn't want to go. She That's wanted to sit it out. She would rather go hang out with her friends and do something else. Yeah. So, I mean... That that told me something right there that this was not a film, and I think my experience now, like I enjoyed seeing it in 3D in the theater. Yeah. There's a small chance I might go back at some point if the right mix of things, because we're talking about like we usually go to see a movie on Christmas Day. It's uh -huh. just kind of I've done it since I was a kid, and I don't know what else is going to be in theaters. There's really not much else there, and so maybe we could go again. I I find it worthwhile enough just to have the experience. Maybe give me. But I don't know that I'll ever watch it on a small screen. I don't know that I'll ever care to return to it that way will ever you, again. Will you be interested in part three when it comes out in a couple of years? I, I mean, I will probably see the it. The underground Navi that they're going to be forced is to that go. Is it going to be the mole people? I don't know, but he's got to do that something. That makes sense. Navi in space. Got to do something. Or <laughs> right. The ones that orbit the, the yeah, planet. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's living on Earth, the space wind, station. Earth, wind, uh, Earth, water, one of the four. Fire. Could yeah, they fire, be, fire, the fire. Fire people. Navi would be cool. Ooh. Except that Jake Sully keeps getting burnt and he doesn't it, like It'd basically one. be Burning Man at that point, right? Uh, I mean, we could just. No. Kate Winslet didn't even realize that was Maybe her. the desert Navi. Uh, the, coming back. Their special it's sand. It's oh, all sand. it'd be like, sandworms. Like, yeah. Like and then we get to have an, a 30-minute sequence on how they get to merge with that being. Yeah. It's a little <laughs> bit different than the other ones that we've seen. Yeah. yeah. it's. I mean, there's so many interesting... It, it would be... 
I'm I curious. like the crab uh, robot guy. Yeah, that we didn't get cool. enough of that. They, they, yeah. they, we see a few little sequences, but I agree. Those were cool. They could have shit. gone the Top Gun route of bringing back some of the original soundtrack. Like if Guns N' Roses had started blaring in the middle of the film. Like oh, yeah. oh, from his earlier from films. From his earlier oh, yeah, films. Yeah. Like you could, you could be, be mine, yeah. Really rocking. Ooh. That would go good. Could it could it could have been a pulse missed uh, opportunity? Pulse yeah, Ethan, I'm so glad yeah. you brought up what you did. Yeah, Terminator Two and Terminator One and uh, the Abyss is where it changed. Where it's not fun, it's serious. Yeah, I, I like the Abyss very much. Yeah, but it's 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 you're right. It's uh, Terminator well, Two is yeah. just a true was True a fun Lies ride. tried to be fun. And I, I like gotta, I like I, True Lies. I, I got to rewatch that one yeah. again because I I feel like I, I won't like, like it lies. as much as I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of some of the jokes, I don't know, but yeah. but it was kind of a it was a sillier action comedy. Yes. It was a funnier he one. Here is my invitation, right? Um, and and then but then you went full on drama with Titanic and and that you know really so I don't know. I mean Cameron is an interesting figure. I do not hate James Cameron. I think. He's done a lot, and he's earned his position. I mean, God, this guy has made so much money at the box office um, with with films that really all all of his projects. I mean, he hasn't had a true failure. I mean, I know he started out with whatever it was, Piranha Two or something. I, I, but. He was on Smartless this week, and he talks about how he was the the director on Piranha Two. It's his yeah. name is on the the video box, right? But really, he was the he says he was the director for about eight days and then got fired because the producer wanted to direct it all along and brought oh, in someone okay. to fire. Well, yeah, neither right. being being his first project where he was just getting some kind of yeah. experience as a director, I I will forgive that. But pretty much once he had control over his projects, they've been incredibly profitable right up through Avatar. Now this one is going to be you know, and and we kind of talked about it briefly, but it's coming out of a somewhat soft version of what they were hoping for in terms of an opening weekend, at least domestically. I know I think it did pretty well with Chi- the Chinese yeah. market. Came out with about like 400-something million total globally coming out of the first weekend, which sounds like an astronomical sum of money. It's a success that for anybody please. else. But when you're up against a production budget, that's... A billion dollars. Right, it's especially for both films. But even if you break it out pretty close to that... I mean, it's going to need to make. They, he says it needs to make what over two billion. Two billion to, is the number to I really yeah. kind of get to the point where it's profitable. That's insane. It, I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if this thing has the legs that they want it to have. It might. Well, I know we're trying to wrap it up, but I mean, like that's the that's the part of the game that I just do not like. Mm. That 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 popular, i.e., pro, uh, big dollar signs yeah. at the box office equals good. Yeah, and it, I I don't I don't like that game at all. But no. I understand I understand the business of filmmaking. But right, that's just to me. Even if this thing started five years ago, or more, and then COVID happened, and you knew you had to readjust, the idea of requiring that level of gross is is odd. Yeah, it it but is. It's it, it's a strange we'll corner to to be get painted into. All right. Um, yeah, we, 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 we've gone on and on and on and, and I'm sure there's a lot more to be said and there's a lot more that people are saying about this after hours. Um, but a guest pop into after hours, (laughs) uh, but sun lab, I picked this up today because it's called blue sea and I couldn't have this thing had poured blue. I, again, I say it would have been perfect, but it was pretty close. It was, Uh, you know, like we said, a purplish sour ale with blueberry and lemon and Madagascar vanilla bean and cinnamon. What, What did you guys think? It's delicious. Yeah. It's a very balanced. Very like fruity. I said, it was not 
jammy and it's not jammy in flavor either it's not like super sweet fruity it is a sour i i found it really nice and light um it wasn't super carbonated i could have taken maybe a little bit more carbonation but um but i thought really balanced with the blueberry and the lemon didn't get as much of the cinnamon in there but i but i think the blueberry lemon and vanilla all kind of went nicely together it's kind of like you know gives me some um slight lemonade vibes very refreshing i mean maybe not necessarily what you're grabbing as a typical winter seasonal but a delicious beer yeah uh, sun lab our fourth visit to this miami brewery i think we've enjoyed almost every time that we've gone i can't remember yeah. any kind of failure from them a lot of times a brewery when they're when they've had when we've had them on the show four times, they, you know they like to send us some merch and stuff to try to get us into, <laughs> into that the That's five right. timers club. I'm not, I'm not suggesting the Sun Lab, but they do anything here. <laughs> uh, I wear I wear a large T-shirt, but um, uh, but yeah, I like this very much. Yeah, uh, the balance I think was important because it was it seemed uh, like a bunch of contrasting flavors, blueberry and lemon together. Yeah. But they, they pulled it off really well. This yeah. is a sour ale where I go, yeah, I don't dislike sours. This is this is good when it's done well. Yeah. Um, well, delicious. Uh, delicious beer. Questionable delicious movie. <laughs> whether whether we're going to feel that way uh, 13 years from now, or actually it's only going to be a couple, right, when this sequel comes out. Um, whether we ever return to Pandora again, we'll find out. But we're certainly going to return to the world of film with a second big holiday release, although an earlier holiday, and we can talk about that. When we return. Guys, I, I had a beer that I thought we could do as a tie-in for uh, Avatar: colon, The Way of uh-huh. Wave Water. Um, it, it it didn't work out because Joe had a I think an even better tie-in. Oh, so wait. so we went with number one. But uh, the runner-up here is what we're going to drink for the second half. No real good tie-in for the actual film we're going to be talking about, but you know, nonetheless, do I get maybe an A for effort? I don't know. Uh, this is through the water. Okay, water. Okay. Uh, from Dissolver, which uh, is a brewery that they, they've done this actually in collaboration with Living Waters Brewing. So it's a collab. It is a wheat wine, which we don't have many of those on the show. I think we've maybe had one before. Um, this is a 9.5% ABV mm. wheat wine with HBC 472 incognito hops um now that said i believe and i don't have a date on this this is one that's been in my uh cabinet for at least a year or so so i don't know if the hop character is going to come through wheat wines tend to be on the sweet side when i've had them in the past so we'll, we'll see what the flavor is here but you know nine and a half percent will at least get us maybe going here with our conversation <laughs> i don't know because because we're going to be talking about something a little headier Maybe. Uh, I don't know. 
but headier than Avatar. Yes. I Googled, uh, Googled. I looked up wheat wine on our handy dandy. I don't think I've ever had wheat wine. Be- beer in a movie database here. And we have a wheat wine that we did uh, the from Ingenious Brewing Company, one of our oh. favorites. That Basil Hayden Brewers Reserve, David. You remember that? Oh, yeah. That was episode 206. We drank it alongside McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Man, oh, yeah. we just go all over the place with this podcast. That was a great movie. Yeah, glad we got to do it. it um, do some Altman on the show, and and we're we're going to a, another name filmmaker, right? This is if there is a connection here. Yeah. I mean, these are two yeah. recent releases, yep. but these are also two big name filmmakers that can potentially even maybe sell a film to audiences. Well, it's that time of the year when uh, here on Brandon Movie we like to cram in all these best of the year kind of films that are going on. I'm seeing a lot of puckering around the room. <laughs> First sips Ooh. are being taken. It's just Steven Spielberg. It, is, oh, oh, the beer. Got to do very small sips on this one. I think, I think that's right. <laughs> Spoiler alert. All right. Uh, okay. The Fablemans is a um, loosely autobiographical film by Steven Spielberg. Young Sammy Fableman falls in love with movies after his parents take him to see The Greatest Show on Earth. Armed with a camera, Sammy starts to make his own films at home, much to the delight of his supportive mother. Not the best synopsis. It kind of gets you kind of halfway there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His father being less supportive because his father is a uh, whiz, uh, like a like a super smart uh, computer. Er, early computer technology. Right. He's, he yeah. understands the future of computers and moves his family across the country from place to place to to, to land a job ultimately with, uh, what's his dream, IBM? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it IBM? Yeah, yeah. right. Because he worked for GE and then he went to, yeah. Right. One thing that synopsis didn't say was that as young Sammy's love of filmmaking is emerging and he's getting better and better equipment and he's getting more and more experience and his films are getting more and more elaborate, his family is kind of collapsing as we learn that his mother, who is the artist, who certainly the artistic kind of lead of the two parents, has had a extramarital situation with. Seth Rogen, and you know, isn't that the case always? Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's a decent, you know, extended synopsis that, that you've just put in there. But, um, you know, nonetheless, I, I mentioned that this was a holiday release, but it was really wide released around Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. Um, and, and we lamented the fact. We, I don't think we did it maybe on our main episode, but Weird. on After Hours. Um, the you know the weekend or the the episode we released right after Thanksgiving it had been our intention to do it as our film right. that, one of our films mm-hmm. that week, um, but we were uh, not we not allowed it. to by the movie gods because it did not play in our market it did not come here until what like three weeks after that yeah. so now we're able to get around to it which is a strange thing because from my perspective a new Steven Spielberg film. Isn't that noteworthy? Uh, Maybe not on its own. Once upon a time so much. I think it depends on the property. The movie that leaps to mind when you said that was the horse one. What was the horse one? Oh, um, 1917. Was it War Horse? War Horse. Yeah. Spielberg has had phases in his career. Sure. I listened to a podcast on NPR and they did a series about like the films that made us talking about like race in film and uh-huh. culture in film. And they did a, an hour long on Color Purple. Color Purple was available on one of my streaming per, uh, services and I watched it. 
Empire of the Sun. I would watch that anytime. I was great way. I was raised on. Uh, I said this last uh, when we did Die Hard. Raiders of the Lost Ark and Die Hard tie, depending on the temperature outside, for my favorite, you know, action film of all time. E- yeah. E.T., eight years old. But now Spielberg, I mean, that doesn't have the got to go to the theater to see him anymore. But he's such a figure, opinion. though, when you hear it's semi-autobiographical. Sure. That, it, for me, it becomes that. Well, it like, be- I'm not that, I will go to one of his movies if I hear it's particular particularly good yeah uh, not just reflexively but in this case i really wanted to see the film. i did too i this when you look when you consider that filmmaking let me start over when you consider that subject matter young boy falling in love with film in the 50s and having to scrape together money for film and and, and shoot it on those 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 super eight super yeah. eight cameras and oh my god i have access to a 16 millimeter cam you know that's right up my alley yeah yeah it, it, so I like you guys. I mean, I think I'm probably a little bit more of a regular Steel, Spielberg yeah. um, watcher. I mean, there have been a couple of his films that I've skipped. I'm trying to remember the Bridge of Spies. I think I skipped that one. Yeah, that was. Uh, but did you, did you see it? Mm-hmm. Okay. But even some of the you know more serious drama, Lincoln, his Lincoln. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that. There, you know, there, there's there are films of his over the years that I don't think have found. The, you know, you're, you're right, Joe. He's gone through phases. He definitely came on strong as the the blockbuster Jaws, guy early hello. on. Jaws, right? Absolutely. We'll watch e. that any day of the week. Cl- close, uh, close Encounters. Oh, I mean, yeah. th- th- he had a, a run of films. Although even interspersed within there, he had his 1941s and his Always. And uh, I mean, but here comes Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> right. So I mean, uh oh, here comes Crystal Skull. <laughs> right. he ma- did he make the new one? No. Okay. He's he not the director direct of the new one, yeah. but I did see the trailer for it yes. in front of Avatar, and yeah. I. I got to tell you, Crystal Skull was like, I'm not watching any more of these. I'm going to go watch this one. This one looks got Fleabag in it. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I, I could see doing it. But but nonetheless, like you were saying, Ethan, I was excited when I heard he was doing something more autobiographical. Um, if only because I do, I, I like those films where people reflect back on what it was that sort of captivated them about their art form what it was that you know which i think this film actually does a really great job of doing i mean we open up with that you know you mentioned it in the synopsis joe him being taken to the movies for the first time as a very young boy yeah like five maybe four five six years old somewhere in there to see cecil b demille's uh the greatest show on earth which is not a film that I know. I, I don't think I've ever seen it, but it's obviously about the circus. I know. I know. I know that it winning Best Picture was one of those top ten years that the Oscars got it wrong. Yeah. Very, uh, very cinematic film, colorful film, but uh, I can't remember. Well, I'm going to look it up. But story wise, not maybe as you know. Correct. I mean, maybe some of what we were talking about with Cameron, Demille was being charged with at this, you know, in in his mm-hmm. time, right? Mm-hmm. More spectacle than story, and we're not really. Um, but nonetheless, one that made a huge impression from that spectacle standpoint, right? The, the scene that he fixates on there is this sort of dramatic, um, you know, action-packed uh, crash scene that happens with this train in, in the film. And, you know, what he gets fixated on, how he wants to sort of recreate that and gain control over it and to be able to kind of, you know, film it from multiple... I mean, eventually it turns into that. It was a beautiful little, like that opening of the film, I really enjoyed seeing that kind of capsule version of what it was 
that you know initially attracted him to this idea of you know projecting images on a screen for people letting them experience this really traumatic event but from a distance of a sort and and through you know a filmmaker's lens and being able to see him kind of gain control over that own process himself when his mother encourages him to do that at home right to actually shoot his toy train set i gotta say i really like this film a lot mm. and uh and it because of things i didn't expect and you know we've talked here about and well, we expected it semi-autobiographical but a kid learning the power of making film but what i found the film to really be about thematically was people watching movies yeah and looking at film and how when you see what you see in film is the truth <laughs> or the way things are that you don't otherwise see right and the power that seeing movies has i love that but aside from that really for me even most of the story was about the family and the mother yeah not even him and on the heels of having seen Avatar, which I thought was just filled with tired cliches about family, this was a story about family that I felt like I hadn't really seen and was genuine. Yeah. And I just so appreciated the acting. Michelle Williams is fantastic. Paul Dano's great. And yeah. the kid, too. They're yeah. all really good. I just so appreciated that it wasn't just the celebration of filmmaking as a magical media or whatever. No, you no, know, no. That I expect. It wasn't that at all. It was really meaningful, and it wasn't just a nostalgia fest about how great the '60s were or anything like that. It has some some cliches, but about being in high school and being bullied. But high school is full of cliches. Yeah, in reality. So <laughs> right, that's right. okay. And it, so we it, had in the '60s, we had <laughs> moved to an enlightened situation where, like, the bullies. You know, let's talk about bullying for real. Yeah, I, I felt that all of that was realistic. I did too. Yeah, I, and I even what you're saying now, I do believe that to a certain extent, the culture has moved beyond that in a way that it had. Bullying's not we, cool. When we were in, in the eight life in the '80s, it was still kind of cool. Oh, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, bu uh, I, I bullied a little. Did you bully anybody else? Bully? Uh, I bullied not... a little. Yeah, I was a little more receiving. Then, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, all, it's all just power grabbing. I mean, yeah, but, but you know, anyway, we'll talk about that in after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to reflect on that. I don't know if I'm ready yeah. to come to yeah. terms with those truths. To yet. me, it was it was almost like 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 bifurcated. Mm -hmm. The 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 hit. Okay, so his dad, who is this like goal-oriented, uh, stay practical, filmmaking is a hobby but not a, a career. Yeah. But not to the caricatured two-dimensional way that James no. Cameron might have done it, no. right? Like Agreed. he's still a loving father and husband. But what was smart about it is that because he's a computer geek, he, he turns his son on to technology that his son then, you know, the, the technology of the camera. Yeah. Because back then it was not everyone's got a camera on their phone in their pocket. No. It was you have to buy a piece of equipment that's probably priced out for a lot of families in America. Right. And he bought his son a cool train set, Lionel train set. I had one. That um, Really? Really? Lionel. We'll talk about that in there. Yeah. I don't think it was for I me. bet you didn't get it over eight nights I, during Hanukkah, I, though. I think that my father bought it for the same reason that his father did, which was, I can play with this, too. Yeah. 
because these are very delicate pieces of uh, electronic equipment, oh, son, yeah. and you're not really allowed to crash them. Yeah. And what the mother, the artist, figured out was this is his therapy for this not traumatic but meaningful yeah. experience that we've sat him through yeah. when we took yeah. him to this first movie. There was a train crash. So the idea every single time that he had his camera out and was like novice at first but getting better as he went, creating film. Mm-hmm. And then the shot of like the the wooden animals of his toy set <laughs> the being <arc>. the animals <laughs> of yeah. of that he saw in the film. I loved every single part of that. Yeah. And then when he shot his first film, the, the not the first but the western. Yeah. And then showing it to his Boy Scout troop, and then the family watching the movie saying, "Oh my God, he's got a little more talent than we expected. It's right. not just a funny little cheesy little uh, weekend project. Yeah. He's really putting a lot of effort." And then the uncle. I'm going to buy you a better camera because I see you. And then when Judd Hirsch shows up and talks about... <laughs> I was going to say, oh, we have to talk about yeah, Judd Hirsch. Yeah. So someone take it away. Well, yeah. He, well, he's fantastic. Yeah, him showing up as the long-lost, uh, I guess, great-uncle to, to him, right? Because he's the uncle yes. to no, his mother. Grandmother. Yeah. So uh, uh, Boris, I think, is his name. Yes. Yeah. Um, what <laughs> what a great performance. I mean, I like Judd Hirsch. I, 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 you know, grew up watching Taxi and, and sort of, you know, loved, John. loved him from then. I remember that, too. Yeah, yeah I, I watched that when that was on. I'm talking about the uncle's message and how much it stirred oh, me. Oh, absolutely. No, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. good message, but also great packaging there. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. just like the voice that he was using, his whole, the way he was carrying himself. There's a very intense and scene be, in his bedroom. It's his mother's relative, correct? Yes. Okay, his, good. His mother's because that's uncle. the through the through line there yeah. of artistic well, he's say, blood. Yeah, he's saying, look, he we're different. He left for the circus. <laughs> yeah, he, he left for the circus and the films. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he actually worked right. in movies and, you know, was kind of... So, you know, he had this artistic drive that he saw in his niece, Sammy, the the Spielberg uh, stand-in. Nephew? The, the, well, Sammy would have been his great-nephew. You're right. You're right. Because right, right. so the, the mother was a niece. Okay, um, I'm with you. I'm with you. So, you know, but he had seen it in his niece when she was playing piano, and her mother had discouraged it because his, the mother hadn't had, his sister hadn't had that kind of artistic streak, hadn't wanted to, but saw it now in him and was sort of like, you know, but you're right. Like, the message that he delivers is is he's, a powerful he, one. He says, "I think that you, I, th- you're you're not going to be able to say out loud what I think you believe, and what that is is that you love filmmaking more than your family, right? And the family familial duty, especially in that '60s Americana, is like, well, no, I can never admit that. But we're talking about Spielberg here, and it might have been true. And every indication here is that I I have a this artistic right. effort is." completing me in yeah. a way that well, girls can't and yeah. society at school can't and you know, ra- uh, uh, ethnic racism yeah. at school. Yeah. But when I'm, when I'm behind, yeah. thank you. Yeah. But when I'm behind the lens and I'm in the editing room and yeah. I'm greater but than that's the thing too, though, about what I was saying about watching film, right? Because, um, it's like saying something about art, which is like you, s- his mother doesn't even come to grips with what's going on really until she sees it in front of her own film. Right. You know, yeah. right. With, with the relationship with Benny. Um, well, that's like, you can't understand how much he's which, enjoying how, painting how much until you, the painting. How is much complete. do you love that Spielberg built in a blow up into his autobiography? <laughs> I mean, this, I, I love, one, one I love that films, section, by the way. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 And Hey, 
Seth Rogen. <laughs> he's great. He's great. He's, he's great in this. Perfect, yeah. Benny. Yeah. Just yeah. just the right amount of Seth Rogen. Well, so I, oh, absolutely. If I say the film is bifurcated, you got that aspect of it. Yeah. So finding like the love of filmmaking. Then the second aspect is the demise of the family. And um, when I say demise of the family, I'm talking about the pathway to divorce. Yeah. The idea that she is having a extramarital something with right. with Benny, who is also his father's protege, um, and uh, the, the 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 taking them across America uh, as he uh, the father taking them across America as he's trying to up his own yeah. career, yeah. and seemingly having no like. We gotta move. We gotta move, and it, if it fucks up your schooling and your social and all that, but, but which might have been the way that it probably was. It kind of. Well, I don't know. It seemed to maybe one of the the messages of this film is, is you've got to be selfish, <laughs> right? Because you know, well, that's, dad is being selfish. Mom, mom wasn't selfish. She wasn't selfish. Early and she's unhappy, yeah. and yeah. she's just like, you know what? Yeah. I've got to be selfish. Mm-hmm. I've got to get out of I'm this I'm watching marriage. him getting and what he wants. And the son has to learn how to be selfish. Yeah. That's interesting. So I don't know if that's the best message, well, but it's... And it's... But it's also, you know, going back to to what you were talking about with the, you know, the Uncle Boris there who comes along and sort of says, it's like, you know, you, you love this more than you, you love your family. Like, I think that's a stark way to put it. And maybe not entirely accurate because right. I don't think he don't has. Think so. I don't think he has to give up his family. Like ultimately, right. his family. Well, it's not a choice. It's just like no, putting but, as much passion into. No, but it can be for some people, and I think there are times. And Boris maybe did have that situation, but but Sammy and one would presume by proxy Spielberg, I don't think had to. Like by all accounts, he maintained good relationships with his parents throughout his life, and you know had that strong family attachment but was also able to have this career where he's very focused on it now i i think you know what you were saying earlier ethan about this is you know an exploration of family in ways that yes has certain cliched aspects because it has i mean family units there's certain resemblances to other family units it just happened that way but there's some really novel stuff going on here like the parent the dissolution of the marriage does not fit the typical patterns that I recall yeah. from films about divorce in the past, right? I mean, um, here, Paul Dano as Bert, you know, the the, the patriarch here, seems to kind of know that his relationship w- with his wife, um, you know, in this case, Michelle Williams, Mitzi, um, isn't really as deep as it could be in in some way like and and i don't even know like i don't know how to i think he's just a man of the time maybe in a way he, he's right? a man but of the he, time he, he, oh, but he, he loves his wife he, and she says he does he's, no he's i'm her not best saying... audience but he doesn't recognize well i don't he doesn't recognize that she's in love with his best friend i guess yeah or does he i mean that's i <laughs> yeah that's yeah. the thing like i really like I thought that this was an interesting, subtle because it was for for a bit of it. I was thinking that maybe he was fully aware of this side relationship that was going on because he brought him along with him, and it, you know, and it was at like, her insistence. At her insistence, but he was willing to go along with it. And there was part of me thinking, like, well, maybe they've just worked out this kind of like, yes, we're married and we have children together and we really love each other and we want to be this, but she has these other needs that I can't meet and that. Benny can, and that, and that they're you I know, going to have the move this. to California. Yeah, she's you know she's not going to do it. Right. And then yeah. No, and eventually it does. Like it becomes clear. Like no, like she wants to have this deeper attachment with Benny, and it, and it all you know kind of comes to a head. Well, Joe, you said it's bifurcated. Did you not like that aspect? I didn't of like it as much. Really, and I, I, but 
I have no problem as a professional mm-hmm. film critic saying that sometimes it takes two views. And I, I, on the second viewing of this, it may, it totally may get me there. But the first viewing of it for me was really enjoying the child learning the craft of filmmaking and mm-hmm. the joy that it brought him. And I thought that that evolution was so natural and, and of its time. Yeah. Getting better equipment, having access to the editing bay. Right. Also, the, um, the other part of that bifurcation was his personal life at school, the getting the girlfriend who yeah. was a Christian. And he's Jewish, <laughs> I which I thought that I was thought hilarious. She was yeah, she, she, she goes. She's going to Texas A and M. She was. <laughs> she was a great character. Uh, I enjoyed that aspect of it. I, I the the bully that he captures on film at the end of the year party at the beach, yeah. and then he. Why did you make me look that way when I've been such a prick to you? None of that. I like that though because I like that because he didn't really. He didn't make him look bad. He made him look great, and that was what tore him apart. Is that I'm not that great. I can't live up to that. Image. Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. That's exactly I love the image that, that I've been putting I out. Liked it. That's I liked the, it. You presented me as I've been trying to present myself. Is what I heard him saying, and he did it so well. That, that he could, it proved to him that like oh this is an, an impossible standard real. like I can't possibly be this thing even though yes I think on some level he was aspiring to be that thing but seeing it created for him is like I can't do that he can because he understands the, you know how to frame things what moments to capture how to put it all together through editing and have it you know become that like he has this power it, I don't have just that the power. fact that. For the the script on a script level, the fact that that's what he does, instead of just making him look like an idiot, right, right, you know? which would have like, been the easy, would have yeah. been the easy. But thing the idiot, do. he makes look like an idiot, somewhat, yeah. but not with that. the ice cream and the yeah, bird a little shit bit and all that. But then when how uh, is that guy from that that guy looks just like the one the bully from uh, or the toady from Christmas Story? Yeah, like, maybe it's his son <laughs> or something, right? Like he looked just like him <laughs> yeah. to me. I, I hear what you're saying. I don't know. Yeah, I, I did not I, – I was not put off by that. I, I liked that, and I liked that it sort of – to me, it made clear this – that Spielberg, or you know, in this case, Sammy, kind of came to realize, like, I have this ability to sort of shape the truth. You know, like, the, yeah. the camera captures the truth, but then I get to shape it, I, and I, I, get to, I get to mold it. I see Spielberg as such an interesting – character because he's clearly one of the kings of Hollywood and he's got the ability to green light anything probably and he has his production name on a lot of things that um, he didn't direct but I still love um, he I, f- I feel like Spielberg somewhere along the way stumbled by his own success after Jaws and after Close Encounters and then into E.T. and like bang almost like a Cameron like but pre-Cameron like as far as box office is concerned bang 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 one after the other color purple for me uh, this podcast that I listened to was talking about how something I wouldn't have understood at at the boy at the age when that came out of um, how African Americans weren't 100% behind it because why do we have to have a a white savior to to tell our story Um, and and the podcast is very fair about why the answer basically it's was 1985. <laughs> yeah, there were no high big name uh, African American directors at the time. So if this story was to be told, why not have this guy do it? Yeah. 
Um, I, I like that movie very much. AI, I think, is an underappreciated almost masterpiece, and I love its pedigree. The spill, uh, the Spielberg. God, did, took it from Kubrick. Different Judd in it. Did Jude, I guess. a film Jude, that, yeah. that Kubrick was going to had intended on doing, and upon Kubrick's right. death, took it over and, and made it. Uh, it's it's very very interesting and good. Yeah, but he seems to struggle nowadays to find good content. This is great content. And I, and yeah. I do look forward to that second, second, uh, yeah. Viewing. I, I would definitely recommend this film. Yeah. Definitely. I, th- I, I think, you know, for me, I, I, I hear where you're coming from. My criticism from. seemed paltry. No, but I mean, but it's real. To, and, to I, and I think there's, to me, they went together well enough, especially with the blow up stuff going on where like the, he's the using up, the you're film. talking about using when he discovers his yes, mother's. Yeah. Cause you know infidelity. what I'm referencing, right? Yeah, the yeah, Antonio yeah, yeah. blow up yeah, where yeah. he's like reviewing the film and sees things in it. And they, they, it, which is exactly what's going on, right? He's editing this footage of this camping trip and he's starting to see these things happening in the background of shots that he hadn't really intended to capture but lo and behold there is this evidence that his yeah. mother is having this deeper relationship with right, benny than right. he re- realized yeah are you old enough david and i know you are ethan to appreciate <laughs> thank you no which is i know we're similarly <laughs> we, I just are. Know we're similarly we are it's true although i think you're you're older but <laughs> okay but i, <laughs> I, I here and there. this year may not be the thing uh, <laughs> of of his edited of the the cuts yeah, of, the, yeah, yeah. of the shots of the actual developed film, yeah. taped to the yeah, to the yeah, table. Yeah. Oh man, I, I did that in college, did man. You do? I did it too. Oh. In USC, I did Super 8 film, and I had an editing, editing with machine hard like film. that. I had one of those editing machines, but it was like busted because all the equipment was at least thirty years old, and yeah. it was all uh, abused by the other college oh, yeah. students. They yeah. didn't give a and shit. And I made some terrible films, and I haven't seen them since. But they're in a plastic bag in my uh, office. And someday I'll digitize yeah. them, and we'll watch them. You I was going to consider uh, David when we were discussing uh, doing this film had fable. Man's been our first film. We needed a film to pair it with. Mm-hmm. I was going to suggest Splatter Man one and two. Uh, I didn't direct those, but I star in them. <laughs> yeah, I, they've and, come up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're yeah. from uh, 1983, 84. Yeah. So it's um, a, yeah. fertile, a fertile time in my Very career. Very nice. Process. Yeah, I was impressed by his uh, his teenage filmmaking and preteen filmmaking. Yeah, uh, it was some great stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean the, the spark was there. You understand. And and from and from what I gather, I did a little tiny bit of reading. It seems like as much as this is loosely autobiographical, it's pretty damn close. Like for, for it, example, it, the John Ford scene at the end. Oh, let's there talk about that. Come on. I mean, I knew David Lynch was in the film. Oh my god, that was And great. but I had read so little trying to not sure. d- give Spoiler away. Free. And so we got to that final scene. I knew it had to be coming close. And lo and behold, David Lynch is John Ford. <laughs> What a master stroke of casting! It, re- and it really is worth the price of admission. <laughs> it really, like, and, it really is. And this yeah. is an anecdote that Spielberg has been telling for years. Yeah. I mean, like it's popped up in interviews, and you know, it's it's known that like this incident at least Spielberg has been told ha- by Spielberg, Spielberg created access for himself on the Universal lot. Mm-hmm. So the idea that he would encounter a, a, any of those office directors makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if it went down exactly like the well, way. No, yeah, but that's I've, how I've he tells that, it. The, that's the how he tells it. Sure. What he's yeah. told. So it's John Ford. Are you a filmmaker? Okay. Well, look at that picture and tell me <laughs> why is that a good picture yeah. or a bad picture? Yeah, just wrong. The horizons on the top. I mean, yeah, that sounds like the John Ford that I read about. Right. And, right. and David Lynch acting is always fun to see. Well, it is. And it's just, I mean, I, I just love the whole, you know, here we have Spielberg, the sort of emblem of blockbuster cinema and what, you know, what Hollywood filmmaking became. 
post studio system and all that. And, and he's brought in David Lynch, who's a guy like a temporary, you know, I mean, pretty much his same generation, yeah. the same, but who took a very different pathway and blazed a very different trail flirted with Hollywood, but really ultimately stayed on the outskirts and, you know, is one of the stranger filmmakers. I mean, we, we've yeah. covered him on the show, people who know his name, you know, Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks, um, you know, Inland Empire, any number of films. These are not sort of traditional Mulholland mainstream Drive, narratives. Mulholland Drive, the top 10 films well, of all time, according now. to yeah, the yeah, Sight and Sound, and sound. Um, But putting him in as John Ford, who is the emblem of the studio system and and, and what was achievable there and, and, and that. I just, I love the whole mix of like this Hollywood American filmmaking history encapsulated in this one little scene at the end of this film that's a beautiful punctuation mark on this And totally just story. like, totally not a non sequitur of like, the narrative, the story's over with. This yeah. is like the aftermath. No, now, it's, let's it's tell a, you this anecdote. It's like, just that a coda. It's a coda. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, there's... It, other than it is the most definitive, I mean, we right before that, we get him getting his letter in the mail from, you know, all the stuff he sent out. And that, we saw him seeing uh, Man Who Shot Liberty Balance early in the film. Too. That's right. So it helps bring that back. But, I mean, it it's that punctuation mark where you're saying, like, okay, well, you know, like, here's how he tiptoed into the industry. He gains access to the lot, flirts with maybe being, what? what is it? He's oh, like, he's well, here. if we're successful this season, maybe we can bring you in as a PA next season or something like that. You know, like it, he has this glimmer of hope on the horizon for he's going to get some at least television work. But hey, while you're here, let's introduce you to true yeah. directorial royalty sure. with John Ford. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all the way behind it. And played by David Lynch. It was just magnificent what what a what a great ending and so i i hear what you're saying joe about the bifurcation i get it i think it goes together better than than maybe you're giving it credit for and i'm excited that you at least feel like you'd you'd maybe gain some appreciation for that hey i saw this spielberg film and i'm excited about the next one what is the next one indiana jones and the dial oh. of destiny wait but he didn't make did he he didn't direct that one. he didn't direct it no i think he jumped oh, off fuck that movie <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we made it through the water. We did. We made it through the water and and through a little bit of Hollywood history. Um, and what sounds like our second wheat wine? I've got to be honest with you. That nine point five. Yeah. And the uh, what was the ABV that was only the, five something. Like? I don't know something. Five point seven. Hit me just right. I'm a little more loose. Probably more than nine point five. I think yeah. that you're right. This one, I made a joke when I first. I literally watched you guys. We had a, our friend Seth was here for five minutes uh, during the beginning, the first part of this. Yeah. Um, uh, drinking this beer, and yeah, <laughs> we were all making the funniest faces. Uh, it comes along. It, it, you get used to it, though. No, for sure. For it's sure. intense. It's it it packs a lot of flavor in. Um, it, like a barley wine. I mean, I think it, mm -hmm. very similar, but it's like a wheat base instead of more of a barley base. It's it's got the sweetness that I was kind of expecting, but it is such an intense sort of concentrated kind of flavor. It really is something you don't want to gulp this. Yeah. You want to take little measured sips. There's definitely more of a bitterness in there than I think of typically with a wheat wine or even a barley wine for that matter. But I think that probably speaks to the, the hops that they're sort of putting on, you know, center stage here by naming them. I can't even remember. It was some letter number combination that DSSLVR. 
I don't know. No, that's the brewery. Um, right, that's, what I, that's what I thought you were asking for. No, it's... It, it was, yeah. Yeah. H, HBC 472. There you go. Incognito okay. Hops. So, you, you know, I, I have a feeling that had we had this fresh, that would have been a different kind mm-hmm. of piece in there. Right now, all I'm getting is kind of that bitterness on the back end. I'm not complaining. But it's not bad. No, not bad. We have talked about a double-digit ABV that hides the booziness. But what about a 9.5 that is coming across more alcoholic than it really I think is? That's a good hops, point. I think those hops would have hit it. It's hit boozier it. than those I, hops. Yeah, it's boozier. I think it you're right. It tastes boozier than it actually is. I know? think you're right. Yeah. It it and it's not barrel aged or anything, so we're not getting that kind of. But I'm not hating. Know. I mean, I'm, I'm no, not complaining no, 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 about no. that at all. No, I I like it. Um, I like it just fine. But I agree with you, Joe. It's it's a little boozier on the front end than I would typically expect with a beer that's you know nine point five percent. Where we talk beer. about some beers being able to hide their ABV, I don't think this one does. Not at all. Um. Well, fun stuff. I mean, this this is uh, you know, it's always fun to talk films and two big ones in different ways. I decided that we're calling this the third chair, Ethan being our third chair tonight, Uh and I hope that Ethan will stick around and help us uh, by joining us on After Hours, where the conversation only continues. I think I bought a, I brought a bottle of beer, so I'm going to exciting. Oh, share that with you guys. Well, listen to us open that bottle of beer and all the other ruminations, and probably if you were with us out last week and After Hours, I've got a little more news about what we talked about at Patreon.com/slash Beer in the Movie Podcast. But listen, you're listening not only at your favorite podcast platform. Let me start over. Because you're listening at your favorite podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Google, one of the other millions of them, here's what we need you to do right now. Stop what you're doing and give us a rating, a nice nice five-star or whatever the equivalent it is, wherever you're listening. Write a review. It helps the algorithm. David, help me. Do, do what, what it, it do, do. <laughs> so that we can get in front of more ears and more eyes and uh, spread this beer and movie magic. You can find us on all of the things, Twitter, Facebook. Instagram, all of them. Beer and a movie is our name. You know what our game is. Um, Beer and movie. You have just experienced another new wet and wild episode of Beer and a Movie. <laughs> Until next time. Remember this. When the horizon's at the bottom, it's interesting. <clears throat> when the horizon's at the top, it's interesting. When the horizon's in the middle, it's boring as shit. <laughs>